We are nearing the end of our study of Philippians, and today we turn, return to Philippians chapter 4 for session 47 of A Better Brand of Happiness. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, Paul wrote about a gift of money the Philippians had sent to him. And I've summarized the message of Philippians 4, chapter 10, verse 20, with this big idea, that when Paul received the money the Philippians sent him, he was more grateful for what it meant than what it paid for. And in previous sessions, we looked at verses 10 through 13 of this, uh, the first part of this paragraph, where Paul wrote that their gift brought him joy. That's the first thing he says in verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Paul says their gift brought him joy, but that he didn't need the money to feel that joy because Christ himself had taught him how to be content, whether he had a lot of money or very little. And so we've looked at that quite in detail in previous sessions. Also in previous sessions, we looked at verses 14 through 16, where Paul described the history that the church at Philippi had in giving to him. It tells us in those verses that this church in Philippi sent Paul money more than once so that Paul would have what he needed in order to reach more people for Christ and keep going to different cities, preaching the gospel of Christ and discipling the believers who came to Christ. And so the Philippians had this pattern, this track record of giving. Now, all of these verses in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, teach a different way, a Christian way, you might say, of thinking about money. Instead of looking at money as necessary for our happiness, which is kind of a natural instinct that we have in the way that most people look at money, you can't have happiness without money, and the more money you have, we think, the more material things you can buy and augment your happiness. That's a worldly way of looking at money, but the Christian way of looking at money is very different than that. Instead of looking at money as a resource to be used selfishly or to be hoarded for our own selves, this paragraph of Scripture, Philippians 4, 10 through 20, challenges us to see it the way Christ sees it. Not as a resource to be hoarded, but as a resource to be given away, to bring joy to others and ourselves also in the process. Now, in the last session, we began looking at the benefits of giving. Paul has talked about the gift that they gave and how it brought joy to him. Then he talked about their history of giving, that this church had a habit of giving to Paul's work. Now in the latter part of these verses of this paragraph, Paul starts talking about what happens when Christian give, Christians give. And he says there are benefits that, in fact, everybody involved in this three-party transaction between Christians and God's workers and God himself... Everyone involved, Paul says, benefits when God's people give to his work. And so in the last session, I said that. I said everyone benefits when God's people give to his work. The givers benefit from giving. The receivers benefit from the gift. And God benefits from giving as well. And we spent session 46 looking at the first of these principles, that the giver benefits through eternal dividends in God's kingdom. And remember, Paul uses commercial um, language here in, verses seven, in verse 17 particularly and says, I want more to be, um, to be credited to your account, meaning that as you give now, it's an investment that will pay off in eternity and God will reward you for your giving. So that's how the giver benefits through giving. And again, that was the subject of last session, session 46. 
In today's session, we're going to look at this truth, that the receiver benefits when God's people give. And the way that receivers benefit from giving is by having supplies to do ministry. The receiver of, of gifts benefit because it gives us who serve the Lord supplies to do ministry. Look with me again at verse 18. Philippians 4.18, Paul says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Now, verse 18 continues, but we're going to stop right there because those two sentences in verse 18 pack a lot of information, a lot of truth. And they tell us, again, how the receiver benefits when God's people give. And the answer is, and the reason, or what Paul says in these passages, the receiver benefits by having supplies to do ministry. Now, I've told you already that Paul used business technology, or te terminology, he used business terminology to describe the giving that the Philippians sent to him. Twice already in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. Paul has used, he's borrowed from the commercial world to describe the financial contributions that the Philippians made. He said their giving made them partners, like business partners in the gospel, and he used the language of credits and debits to describe how God was keeping track of their gifts and would reward them with dividends in the future. Now here in verse 18, Paul returns to the commercial terminology one more time. For the third time in the paragraph, Paul used business or financial terms to describe their gift. And the financial term that Paul used in this verse is translated received at the beginning of verse 18. Looking at verse 18, Paul says, I have received full payment. The word received there, or actually the whole phrase, received full payment, is a was a business term in the days in which Paul and the Philippians lived. And that word, received full payment, was used to describe a receipt. Just as when you go to the store and buy something, you are given a receipt. That receipt proves that you paid for the thing that you are walking out with, so that if anyone challenges your right to have that thing, you can say, no, I own it. Here's my receipt. It proves that I paid for this item. This phrase in verse 18, received full payment, was used of receipts in the day in which the Paul and the Philippians lived. And in fact, this phrase that's translated received full payment is very similar to our phrase paid in full. It describes a completed financial transaction between two parties where the work has been performed or the product has been delivered and the consumer has paid for it. So the transaction is complete. Paul uses that same terminology to describe the gift that he received from the Philippians. He said, you Philippians are now paid in full by this gift that you sent me. He says, in effect, this letter that we call the Philippians is your receipt. It, it, it proves that I received the money that you sent through this man, Epaphroditus. And so again, this phrase not only borrows from the commercial business language 
of the world during the time of Christ, but it alludes to something else about the New Testament's teaching about giving and financially supporting the work of God through the people of God. And so I want to spend some time talking about what this phrase suggests. When Paul says, you are paid in full, he is not only borrowing from commercial language, but he's alluding to what the Bible teaches about giving. Now, I can't spend too much time on this, but I want to show you from the New Testament that there is a sense in which God's people give freely from the heart, and that's what God wants, that's what God loves. But there's also a sense in the New Testament where the Bible teaches that the people of God owe it to God's servants to pay their tithes and offerings to support God's work. Just as you owe money to someone who does work on your home or provides you with a good or provides you with a service, you owe them for those things. So the Bible says, and I'm going to show you one passage, but there are many passages that could prove this, that as Christians, we owe it to God's work to financially contribute to the ongoing work of God. That's what the New Testament teaches. Here is just one of several passages we could go to to demonstrate this truth. And that passage is in 1 Timothy Chapter 5, verses 17 through 18, where the scripture says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor. And that doesn't mean like saying nice things about them or adding two titles to their phrase like the reverend doctor. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about paying money, as we see in the next phrase. It says, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching, for the scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Now, this language about the elders of the church are worthy of double honor, and the worker deserving his wages, borrow again from the idea of a debt that is owed for services rendered. Just as someone who does, comes into your home and does work for you, they, they do plumbing or they repair plumbing or whatever, and they deserve the money that you agreed to pay them when they came to do the work. So the Bible uses this language of obligation to describe how God's people ought to pay God's servants for the work that they do. And so back here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, Paul is very grateful for the money the Philippians sent him. He doesn't feel a sense of entitlement about it at all. He's, oh, he's thrilled that they were kind enough to send him this money. And, and he feels even more good about it because they've done this more than once. They've been ongoing supporters of his work. But by using this language of full payment in verse 18, by saying in verse 18, Here's your receipt. You're paid in full. Paul is suggesting that the Philippians actually owed him this financial support because of the work he had done for them. Again, if you pay someone, it's because they have performed work that benefited you and solved the problem in your life. And Paul here suggests that it was right for the Philippians to pay him because he worked hard and sacrificed much to bring them the gospel of Christ. Now, Paul, I'll show you another passage in a minute where Paul says, I never demanded any money from you. 
But the fact that Paul didn't demand them to pay doesn't mean that they didn't owe him some financial support for what he did. In fact, Paul's language here suggests just the opposite. And Paul suggested this elsewhere in his letters. This isn't the first place or the only place in the New Testament where Paul says there's a sense in which God's people owe it to God's servants to contribute financially to their work. Here's another example in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, where the scripture says, Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? Did you know that? That when God's people in the Old Testament brought lamb, when they brought sacrifices, that yes, much of that sacrifice was offered on the altar, but that a lot of the meat from that sacrifice was taken and consumed by the priests who worked in the temple. That's what Paul's saying here. Don't you know that some of what is given to God for sacrifices in the, in the temple are actually consumed by the priests? to keep them alive and to keep them well-fed. So Paul says, don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar shared in what is offered on the altar? And then he says in verse 14, in the same way, the Lord has commanded. All right, this is not optional stuff here. This is not a suggested donation. The Bible says this is something the Lord has commanded. And what has God commanded? That those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. That phrase, should receive, is a word of obligation. It's a word that is saying it is right for those who preach and teach the gospel, for those who travel abroad to plant churches, for those who serve the church in ministry in one way or another, the right thing to do, the thing God has commanded, is for the people of God to financially support those of us who spend our lives giving our lives to the spread of the gospel message. And so if someone is serving the Lord, and they are diligently teaching and preaching the word and spreading the gospel message, but they can't make a living at it, then God's people are not doing what's right. I have friends in the ministry. I have one, a friend right now whose church is at a point where they might not be able to continue supporting him and his family. He's looking, at, look, he's looking for a part-time job to supplement his family's income. And part of that is not that it's not so much that people aren't giving, but rather the church made poor financial choices in the past before he got there in terms of they overspent and overborrowed for a building. But nonetheless, he's in a position where he's having a hard time making ends meet for his family. And Paul would say, and, and these scriptures suggest, that there's something wrong here. It's not right for people who serve in the gospel ministry to have to support themselves by some other means. Again, at the end of that passage, 1 Corinthians 9.14, Paul says, The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Just as it is right to pay the mechanic who fixes your car or the, rest, or, or the restaurant that fixes your food and serves it to you, it is similarly right to pay for the spiritual food that you receive from God's servants and the biblical teaching and leadership you receive in the local church. And so coming back to Philippians 4.8, again for this morning. 
Paul described in this letter that we call the Philippians. The gift of the Philippians and says this letter is like a receipt. And in so doing, Paul says that the Philippians are paid up for the spiritual work that Paul did by bringing them the gospel message. That's what the first phrase of verse 18, which says, I have received full payment, suggests. But no, notice that Paul goes on in verse 18 to say more about this. And in fact, in the next phrase in verse 18, he describes the generosity of the Philippians' gift. Notice verse 18 again says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. That phrase, have more than enough, that's translated as a phrase in the NIV, is one word in the original Greek. And that word suggests that the Philippians' gift was large. An older translation might use the word, I abound financially now because of the gift that you sent. This suggests that the money they sent him was of such a large amount that Paul actually had some cash in reserve. Not only did he have enough to pay his present expenses, but he had some extra money either to store up for future expenses or to pay for not necessarily luxury items, but things that he would have had to get by without. He now has the means to pay for them. And so that second phrase in verse 18 tells us that the Philippians didn't do the bare minimum. They, because of their love for God and because of their appreciation for Paul, they gave very generously to his work. And in so doing, Paul had more than what he needed. He had some discretionary, disposable income, we sometimes call it. Now, the verse goes on in verse 18 and says this, I have received full payment and have more than enough. Then it says this, I am amply supplied. That phrase, I am amply supplied, describes the result in Paul's life that the Philippians' gift achieved. And we talked in a previous session about how professional fundraisers will tell you that it's easier to get people to give to a project than to a person. Remember that? I gave you an example a couple weeks ago about um, if I wanted to, if I needed to buy a new laptop computer and I needed to raise $2,500 to buy that computer. But I also, let's say, and this is a, again, this is a hypothetical example. But let's say, on one hand, I'm trying to raise a one-time amount of $2,500, but also at the same time, I'm trying to raise support. I'm trying to raise people who will give me, in total, $2,500 a month. So in one sense, I'm trying to raise $2,500 to buy one computer, one time, but I'm also trying to find enough people to give $50 or $100 or whatever every month so that I have $2,500 more in terms of my income each month. We talked about this example, and I told you that professional fundraisers will tell you it's easier to raise money for the computer than it is to get people to give you an ongoing amount with no end in sight. But one reason that God's people have to raise money this way, one reason why God's people can't just take money out of their own accounts to buy a new computer, why they have to ask for special offerings, is that most people don't have an abundance who serve in God's ministry. When Paul says in verse 18, I am amply supplied, many ministers of the gospel can't say that. 
They can't say, I have an abundance or I have more than enough. Instead, they say, I've got enough. I can get by on what I've got. But when they have a vehicle that breaks down or a computer that stops working or they have some kind of a major medical problem, a lot of times God's ministers have to go back and ask for additional funds, not because they're greedy or because they're unwilling to spend out of the funds that they have, but because they are not amply supplied. They don't have what they need to do ministry. They have barely enough to get by and stay alive and keep their families fed and clothed. And so one reason why God's people, or one reason why God's servants have to come back to people again and again and again asking for money is because we lack the financial resources that Paul describes himself having here. Because the Philippians gave abundantly, they didn't try to figure out the minimum amount they could give to keep Paul alive. No, they gave lovingly, lavishly, you might even say, to the point where Paul said, I have money in the bank. And that means I have the ability to buy whatever supplies I need, not only to stay alive, but to do more ministry. Paul could buy quills and he could buy, you know, uh, scrolls to write these letters on because he had the supplies that he need. And I talked to you before about how Paul in other letters talks about how he had to work making tents to, to meet his needs until gifts like the one from the Philippians arrived. Paul could not have quit his job. He could not have stopped making tents if all he received was something like a one-time gift of $2,500. $2,500 is a lot of money, but not if you're trying to live on that for a month or a year. That's not enough money to make your living, to quit your job. But he could quit working if he received a regular supply of, say, $2,500. Or, or, or if he received even more than that, if he received $5,000 a month, that's a good salary. Then he could both quit working outside the church and buy his own computer to kind of modernize the example when he needed it because he had money in the bank. He had money in reserve. He didn't have to ask for extra money or pray and ask God for extra money to get what he needed to do ministry. And this is how it should be. God's people should not only have enough to live on, but we should have enough and more than enough so that we can have the supplies that we need going forward. And maybe you've noticed, or maybe you haven't, that here at this church, when we have a, um, a furnace that goes out and needs to be replaced, or an air conditioner that stops working, or some major expense, we don't typically come to you. I can't remember the last time we told you we need money to repair, repair or replace something. Why is that? Because we keep money in reserve. We try to steward the money that comes in very well so that we have supplies. We don't consume everything because we know there will be expenses that need to be done. Because the Philippians gave generously, Paul had enough money to live on and to pay for anything and everything that he needed to do ministry. And that's how it should be. And so that leads me to the big idea for this message. And the big idea for this session is that you and I, as God's people, should give to God's work so that God's workers have what we need. Give to God's work, not only so that you will be investing in eternity and receive the payoff that God's promised, 
but give to God's work so that God's servants have what we need to do ministry. Have you ever worked in a job where the budget was so tight, too tight, so that the basic supplies you needed to do your work weren't available to you? That if you needed a new computer, you, you couldn't have it. People would bring computers from home because there wasn't money in the budget to buy a new one. Or even pens or pencils and paper, people, there was no supply cabinet that had that stuff in it because the budget was so tight that nobody, that there wasn't money to pay for these basic supplies. And so people either had to do without them or bring their own. Have you ever worked a job like that? I have, and not even in ministry. I've worked in startup companies where the money was so tight that we had to economize every way that we could. That's tough. And the answer to that in the business world is profits. If you can squeak by on a small budget, but produce an item or a service that is profitable, then eventually you can either raise the price and increase the profit margin so that you actually have money for supplies, or you sell enough at a lower price point, a lower profit margin, but you sell enough of them that you finally are supplied with the money you need. Then you can hire other people to work, and you're not working 80 hours a week. Then you can fill the supply cabinet. Then you can have a computers or whatever else you need. That's how it works in the commercial world, but there's no pricing in the gospel. I can't raise the price of being a member here at this church. If you were saved and baptized in our church or by our ministries, or if you've been discipled here as a Christian, you've noticed that we never send you a bill in the mail. That here's this month's bill for your discipleship. We accept cash or credit. You've also noticed that we don't charge admission to come into this service. If you went to a concert or to a movie, they would charge you for the seat. We don't do that. We don't say you need to have a $10 ticket to come into this service on Sunday. Anyone and everyone can have a seat in this auditorium at no cost. And in fact, if you're really up for it, you can attend the 11 o'clock service for free as well, if you so choose. We don't charge people for the ministry that we provide as a church, but when people don't support the ministry of their church with money, then the church has to get by one way or another. Either we're understaffed or we're undersupplied, or as often happens, missionaries who, who, who have great um, potential and have, are well qualified and are going to a needy area, I have to turn away and say, I can't support you, I'm sorry. We're at our limit in terms of what we can do right now for missions. These are the decisions that we have to make in ministry all the time. Because while we have enough to get by, and even some in reserve, we don't have an abundance to do everything that we could do for the Lord's work. The gift the Philippians sent Paul was very, very generous. That's what Paul is suggesting when he says in verse 18, I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Whatever the Philippians sent him, Paul thought was a very generous donation. But there's a sense in which they owed him that generosity. Because he was generous with his time, with his life, by coming to Philippi in the first place to preach the gospel to them. 
And although the language from this passage is different than what we see in the passage I'm going to show you in a minute, the concept suggested here in Philippians 4.18 is very similar to what God's Word said in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8-10. through 10. Let me repeat this before I read the verse. The language is different. Paul doesn't, isn't quoting here Malachi chapter 3, and he's not alluding to it. All right? But conceptually, Paul is saying the very same thing. When he says, I am amply supplied, he's saying what God said here to the Israelites in Malachi 3, 8 through 10, which says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me, God says. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me, God said. Then he says this in verse 10, and this is really the reason why I'm quoting all this. All right, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. What is the result of God's people giving to God's work? The answer is God's work is amply supplied, just like Paul said here. In the Old Testament, when God's people brought their tithes and offerings to the temple, the temple had food in it. It had the supplies it needed to support the priests and to pay for the expenses of the lampstands and the maintenance of the temple and so on. That last phrase in Malachi 3 verse 10, that there may be food in my house, is echoed by Paul's statement here in Philippians 3.18, I am amply supplied. Now that I have from that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. When God's people give faithfully to the church, when God's people give generously to the church, when God's people give regularly to the church, you benefit because you have treasure in heaven. God's recording your gifts. And he's saying, I'm going to reward you abundantly in the future for it. That's your benefit. But there's another benefit. And that is that the church benefits by having what we need to pay people to pay expenses, to buy supplies that we need to do ministry. And so I'm urging you to give to God's work so that God's workers have what we need. Are you giving to this local church? If so, thank you. Your tithes and offerings make possible for us the opportunity to serve and every other ministry that we do. But if you're not giving to this local church, not only are you missing out on the dividend in eternity that God promises, compounding day by day when you give to God's kingdom, but we're missing out because we don't have the funds that we need to do ministry. The world's idea of happiness is for you to take the money that you earn and spend it all on yourself. Either save it for a rainy day, save it for retirement, or spend it all now. That's called materialism. New cars, new clothes, vacation homes, new electronics, those are all exciting and they give us a good feeling, a feeling of happiness for a while. But eventually, all of that fades away. God's Word tells us that a better brand of happiness comes when we give generously to God's work. Because when you give generously to God's work, not only are you storing up treasure in heaven, but you can see with your own eyes the ministry that is happening. Because your financial contributions make it possible. 
So give to God's work so that God's work have God's workers have what we need. And this is a better brand of happiness.